you know, in chapters like that, this, uh, you try to say, like, should, should you do certain sections of it? But who am I to pick what verses you leave out when you're reading the Word of God? You know what I'm saying? So you stay with us long enough, we'll read through the whole Bible. Uh, some of the ladies thought it'd be funny to have this Facebook conversation about we'll make it to. <laughs> or we won't. Let me, tell you, let me get it right. I'm sorry. I, I, uh, we won't make it to Revelation because the rapture will come before Pastor ever makes it that far into the. So, yes, we got a little while before we get that far. Took us a year to get through Samuel. That's not bad, right? <laughs> With that being said, we're not going to skip over anything, but I don't know what God's got planned for next week. For sure, I've been praying about it. Uh, but if you remember, for Father's Day, we kind of jumped forward and uh, did chapter two, David's last words to his son, father's advice. So I don't know if, if God got something different for chapter two or if we just may breeze over chapter two and go into chapter three next week. So for you loyal people, I know that study so far in ahead and I want to know where we're at. Just a warning that I don't know for sure where we'll be at for next week. So read two and three. It can't hurt you, right? Um, if you're any kind of note taker, I don't have a long intro for Kings because Samuel is the intro to Kings. Um, it literally is the is the exact intro of, of what's coming on. Um, so so we've been there. Uh, I will say this: the Book of Kings covers uh, 410 years of this nation's history. So it's a great a great span. Um, four uh, I'm sorry, 970 BC to 560 BC. Uh, and the main theme you're going to see is people have a failure to live up to their end of the covenant. And I thought it was very fitting that that is a, a theme of Kings. Because in the song we just read, we told God, God, forever I'll stand, forever I'll love you. When you think about any wedding you've ever been to, anytime there's a covenant agreement, uh, you tell somebody forever. I promise, no matter what, I'm going to be with you forever. It don't matter how ugly it gets. Um, it don't matter how. And, and I'll tell you, the relationship between us and God gets real ugly if you look at history. So, so but God says, look, forever I'm going to do my part. Now, the question is for us today, and we'll see that they don't always fill up to it. But will we forever stand and will we forever tell God, God, I love you. God, I'm going to do my end of the covenant. See, I think sometimes in the, the New Testament church, New World Church, whatever you want to call it, we've forgotten that we've got a part of the covenant. We've forgotten that there, there's a promise, just like any wedding, and two people are agreeing to do something. And I promise you, God will do his part. And unfortunately, like many marriages, there's one spouse that's going to do their part, and the other spouse has got to kind of pull up the rear. But, but it's a covenant agreement. That we should be in with God. And there's, there's what we see in First Kings. So um, we're going to see a, a unified nation that was under King David. Because of a lot of disobedience, that's going to get divided throughout these 410 years. We're going to see some good kings. We're going to see some bad kings. We're going to see some good prophets. We're going to see some bad prophets. Uh, or true prophets, false prophets, I guess is a better way of saying it. We're going to see some faithfulness. And we're going to see some disobedience to God. And that's your intro for First Kings. So see, that was all just two minutes. You're good to go, right? All right, you should have it open. Look at verse 1. David's old, man. Now, what I mean by this when I say old, because I want you to understand, David's probably only 70. We, you go back to, to 2 Samuel where it tells us he was 30 when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. Well, I, I do have me a college degree, so I've been able to figure out that 30 plus 40 is. Yeah, some of you don't even have college degrees, and you're able to do it, so it's amazing, right? So, so he's probably about 70, but what I want us to point out is this. While we say David is old and we see that, man, he can't even keep himself warm. It's not necessarily how many years David has been kicking. It's the mileage he put on those years. I mean, am I right? When we look at the book of Samuel, we go back to when he first took on Goliath as a teenager and, and all those things that have gone on for all these years. David has lived a life of like five or six men. I mean, literally, the things that he's done, the hiding in the cave, the the, the fighting here and the fighting there. and the, he, he fought to the... He fought so much, if you remember, his own men had to tell him, David, it's time for you to stop, Bo. I mean, we need some soldiers like that in the church, don't we? Some people that are willing to fight so long that people finally have to come along and be like, man, you, it's time to slow down just a little bit. You, 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 fought, the, you fought the good fight. Let's, let's slow it down and, and, and keep yourself in check. Somebody had to tell David that he needed to slow down. I mean, this guy has put some miles in at 70 years. So when, when we read chapter or verse 1, I'm sorry, of oh, chapter 1, yep. So when we read that, and this says, man, David was, was so weak that he couldn't keep himself warm. I mean, understand, David has lived a rough, rough life, right? And in that same section of, of one through four, it says that we're, we're going to bring, you know, and, and this is something you need to understand. Women agree with me, I believe, on this. Men came up with this idea that we see in one through four, right? I mean, just, just picture the first time this came about. Now, on a serious note, some people really do believe, and, and I think I'm kind of accurate, 
the servants mentioned in this beginning are actually David's physicians, which would be a servant. So that's fine. And this is a real thing they did. But understand what had to happen at some point. Somebody got cold and couldn't warm themselves back up because they were old or sick or whatever. And I promise you it was a guy because of what follows. A guy said, man, let's just find a woman to come and lay with him. Now, not in any sexual way, just to just to what they don't have heat and blankets. They didn't have electricity, you know, and all that. So so body heat was the next best thing. And y'all gonna have to excuse me. I'm going to get in trouble right now. Is that everybody got it? You know, you're going to get in real trouble whenever you prelude with telling people that not with any of you. You guys will love it. You guys will know it's real. You guys will know it had to be my thought. That woman in the back room is going to hate this thought. Here's how I know for sure this was a guy, because if girls would have came up with this idea, you need body heat, right? They would have said, let's go find a fat chick, right? Because she got more body heat and it'll keep you warm. Am I right? But you notice what happened. Somebody else was in the group and they had to say, we want her to look good. What does it say? Verses verses three and four says that they found a beautiful woman. Now, David's 70. There ain't nothing going on. Okay, his time is over. But they still want to find a beautiful woman to lay with. Now, understand, seriously, here's what's happening. Here's why. They literally thought, and this was something they really did in this culture, they would have thought the joy and the happiness of, of a young lady would have actually uplifted the spirits of some, that the, the, the emotional spirits, not like weird spirits. But, but they thought it would have uplifted the spirits of the individual that, that was weak. I just want to you to understand, right? There's a lot of weird things that go on in Scripture. you got to get it. Right? So, so, so that's the principle behind it. I want to make sure you guys understand that that won't be the only weird thing you hear today, I promise, right? But I want to make sure we get this. Like, this, this is not anything immoral. This is not like a, like a red mark at the end of David's life. And just to even prove it, the, the writer of Kings, who we don't know, maybe Samuel, maybe Jeremiah, maybe a combination of a lot of people. So you can add that to your notes on the intro to Kings, right? But they thought so, so much about this. They wanted to make sure we understood that like, David had a problem with women, but we want to make sure you understand he did not know her. And yes, it's talking, know her intimately, you know her physically. Um, he doesn't do that. Now, we do know that most likely, according to what takes place in chapter two, just to uh, jump ahead a little bit. She does probably end up becoming one of his concubines. But but as, as I try to tell the kids sometime when they ask me, because the question will come up every time the word is used in church. Dad, what's a concubine? What are their jobs? Well, some of them got some jobs and some of them got other jobs, right? <laughs> this is one of the times we can say, let me tell you about this other job. Her job was to keep him warm and to tend to him and to take care of him um, in a non-sexual way. Amen, right? So it's good stuff. Yeah. Right, so, so you got all this going on, but it, but it makes that point to make sure we understand. Like this, this is not... Anything like kinky and weird sounding like we think of, this is just seriously trying to keep David healthy, trying to keep him, you know, warm and, and going on here. And while that takes place, then we jump ahead to verse five, a kind of another, you get a lot of scenes in this chapter. You jump ahead to verse five and you get this presumption. Anybody ever presume something? Presumptions will get you in a lot of trouble. You know something else I jot, one of the first sad things, one of the first notes I jotted down, when I went back and reread this chapter this week uh, for one of the first times in a little while, and I was reading it, and I had to write down, family drama will follow you forever. Yeah, I mean, is that not right? All we saw at the end of Kings, man, for like six chapters was family drama, family drama, family drama, family drama. And you're like, thank God, new book, no more family drama. No, it starts off family drama. like, And it starts off with a presumption. Look at verse 5. Now, verse 5 tells us a lot about the character of David's fourth fourth son here says that he kept exalting himself, saying, I will be king. Now, that word kept and that word exalted himself should stand out to us. You ever been around somebody that's got to keep promoting themselves? You know what I'm saying? It happens all the time now that the football season is in. You stand on the sideline and like those parents that just keep promoting their son. And here's the funny part. Just being honest, right? I'm an honest kind of person. So, so normally what happens is that person that keeps promoting their son their son ain't even in the ball game. I'm just telling you like it is. Their son ain't even playing. He ain't touching no football. He nobody know his name ain't come across the big speaker or, or nothing. So you're sitting there thinking to yourself, now you're gonna be kind because you like the Christ like and people know you're a pastor on the sidelines. So you gotta you gotta be kind, right? So so you're, you're sitting there on the sideline and you're thinking your kid is not that good because they're not in the game, right? But they keep on going. I tell you what, if they put my boy in there, he'd have a hole this big and he would also pick up the ball to run the touchdown at the same time. Like he can do it all, and they're going on this. This is this guy. Like he has to keep promoting. And, and take this as a warning. When you got to keep promoting yourself, maybe there's a problem. Right? When you're the only one promoting yourself, maybe there's a problem. And I think we ought to jot that down because what we got here is we're getting introduced 
to one of the biggest problems we see in Scripture, pride versus humility. We're going to have a guy who exalts himself to become king versus a guy who doesn't do anything for himself to become king. His mama and the prophet do it. Right. So so in essence, what that means is pride, selfish is going to be dethroned and God is going to be the one to uplift Solomon to his spot, which we already knew from from previous study on, on God's promises. So you get this this wording here, though. And it really goes back and, and understand this. Maybe the guy. I'm approving a couple of verses. This isn't true, but I, I just want to be nice and neutral at the beginning. Right. Maybe this guy thought it really was his spot. You know, if you go back to Second Samuel, chapter three, we get a list of David's sons. This is fourth in line guy right here. Now, we know son one. What happened? He did. Son two. He did. Son three. We don't know that. Why would you assume that? He is most likely dead or he most likely has the inability to rule. All we know about son three, son three is his name is mentioned one time in second Samuel chapter three. And that's it. We never hear from the guy again. So he's either dead or he was a loser. One of the two. I don't know. Right. <laughs> so, so we get this guy. So it, it is in human instinct. Here's where we get in trouble. And here's where they mess up with their covenant agreement with God in the beginning. Who's going to rule the kingdom? No, you've fallen in the same trap. They fall in. Who's going to rule the kingdom? No. Thank you. All you had to do was give a Jesus answer. I mean, you had all you had to do was sound spiritual for one time when I asked a question. Oh, I know God to do it. Jesus to do it. Like anything like that. Holy Spirit. Right. I would have took any of those. Y'all want to call out man's names. That's the problem. That's what they get into. They get into a little bit of trouble because they want to follow the ways of the world, which says what? The next in line takes over. And, and there's why this guy gets in some, some presumption here. Understand this, guys. God's kingdom don't work the way the world works. Okay? So we're getting little T90 good nuggets of, of information through here. Yes, the world says by the rules of hereditary succession, this guy would be next. But everything I read about God's chosen people is God says, I will pick and determine who's going to be king. Because every time you people pick it, it gets screwed up. I mean, you go all the way back to when they picked their own first king and all the problems that it has with it, right? So, so this guy violates a basic principle of scripture. That God should do the exalting and not ourselves. So stop exalting yourself. Stop rooting your own horn and all that stuff. And let God do it. Right? Doesn't it feel better when somebody else is rooting your horn anyway? Huh? I mean, it does if you're honest. If you're not honest, well, Revelation says you're going to hell. So, Psalm 75. For exaltation comes neither from the far east or from the west or from the south. But God is a judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Let God do the exalting. David writing this. James 4.10. We'll look at James here in a minute too. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. It is better when God does the lifting up than ourselves doing the lifting up. Okay? Now we get this this next thing that's happening right here. And it says this. Not only did he exalt himself, he made his own parade. You know what I'm saying? Like this, this, this is very humorous if you sit back and look at it. The guy's talking his own trash, uplifted himself. And now he says, you know what? I'm really not as popular as I should be as daddy's next in line. So I'm going to get my own parade going. I'm going to collect 50 horses from some friends. We're going to get his chariots going and these horsemen. And they're going to run right before me. He's got a good marketing campaign going. Right? What he's doing here is he's making himself the image of a king. Well, just because you make yourself the image of a king doesn't make you king. No different than just making yourself the image of a believer doesn't make you a believer, right? So, so understand this. Now, here's the, here's the sad part that I don't understand. Now, even if you're corrupt, even if you're trying to promote yourself, why would you follow your brother's example that's already failed and he is? Now he's dead. Okay, good. You understand, right? That's what he's doing. He's going back and he's following his brother's example from 2 Samuel chapter 15. Um, um, Absalom, man, I'm about to mix all these A's up. Absalom, Absalom made this what? He had a parade. Of people that led the way with horses and, char- horses and chariots and soldiers and men leading the way when he wanted to rebel against daddy. Well, we see what happened to him. So it wasn't good. So I don't know why little brother wouldn't have followed that example, but he didn't. Right. He exalted himself. He prepared for himself. We, we get this word in the New Testament that the men have been looking at um, in, in the book of James. E-R-I-T-H-E-I-A. Uh, I'm not even going to try to say it because it would be butchered. Uh, but for you note takers, it translates into this selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. And we focus, we, we, we suffer from this disease. We want people to recognize our good works. We want people to see when we do good. We want people to give us the recognition we do. We want people to listen to us. We want to have power. We want to have influence. We, we want to exalt ourselves. Definition of selfish ambition is elevation or an exaltation of your self. 
And like I said a minute ago, if you always got to be the one praising yourself and nobody else is, maybe you don't deserve the praise you think you deserve. Right. Now, that's hard truth and we don't like it, but but it's reality. James chapter three, he writes this 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, not their mouth, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first all pure, peace, loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James is saying right now, man. Believing disciples don't behave this way. They don't promote themselves. They don't have selfish ambition. Matter of fact, he even says what about these thoughts? They're earthly, which means they're fleshly. They're unspiritual, which means which means, you know, they're, they're, they're not they're, they're not a, a religion kind of thing and demonic. Now, we always try to go this one a few times. You get to see these three together. I've told them in that before. And we always try to blame the devil when something goes wrong. Right. In reality, though, he's not looking at this demonic thing. He's looking at this earthly thing, this flesh thing, because he even says this kind of stuff stirs up in the heart. Of a man that's not right. Selfish ambition brings trouble. It says that we bring trouble on ourselves a lot of time by, by what's going on in our heart. Verse six. We get to see a little bit more of his character and a huge warning to parents. Look at verse six. If you're a parent, you should highlight it. But his father had never once infuriated. My translation says infuriated. Kind of like that. Infuriated him by asking, why did you do that? In addition, hold on, I'm going to pause it there. You ever made one of your kids infuriated? I'm the only dad, only two of us. Amen for you, brother. Right, me and you. Ha! You been infuriated by him? Oh, so you're the little angel. I don't know if you heard me mumble under my breath just a minute ago, but liars go to hell. Revelation twenty-one eight. Okay, just just a warning for you. That's all. I don't know, right? Your parents have never infuriated your kids. I remember the first time. Oh, now we all want to raise our hand. Oh, pastor says it's good. We can do it. Both hands up, right? Praise Jesus, right? My favorite thing since she's not in here is when my daughter tells me she's been infuriated by me. She'll actually throw that word out every now and then. You infuriate me. And we get followed by, I hate this house and I hate this player. Right? I sit back as a dad and I pop my collar. I did my job. That's exactly what's in my life, right? David didn't do this job. David, if your kid has never been infuriated by you, you have not done your job because they're not as perfect as that guy right there, okay? Huh? Yeah, no, no, your job is to infuriate your kids. Some of your translation is going to say disappoint. Anybody's translation say disappoint? Have you ever disappointed your kid? Some of this, just talking about corporate punishment. Yeah, when I spank my kid, he's disappointed. You know, <laughs> I promise you, right? When I take away game controls and take away TV and send them to the roof, they're disappointed in themselves, right? Answer wrong, and you'll get your remote control taken away today, right? Look at that. He's very disappointed now. Yeah, I'm disappointed, right? Look at what he says. His father had not, sometimes I say rebuke. His father had not rebuked him at any time. David was a great, and I mean great king. He really was, right? Probably the greatest king they're ever going to have in this nation through all the books that we look at, right? But he was a crappy parent. Now, now you can look at a lot of stuff. Maybe he didn't want to, you know, Stir the pot and, and go back to that peacemaker, peacekeeper kind of attitude that James was talking about. Maybe he was just too busy as a dad. Parents, heed this as a warning. Your first priority is your family. Okay? If you can't keep your family in order, then you need to get rid of the other stuff. Okay? So, so if David's problem was he had too much going on, he should have restructured some stuff. God himself in his word says, no, the family, if man can't keep his family in order, he has no business leading other stuff. All right? So, so that, now if it was the other thing and he just wanted to be a peacemaker versus a peacekeeper, y'all know that difference, right? I know the men do because we've talked about it. Everybody understand the difference? Y'all know what a peacemaker is. You know what a peacekeeper is. Peacekeeper carries a broom. I'm serious. They carry a broom because they sweep everything under the rug. They just want to keep the peace going. You know what I'm saying? Oh, we don't want to stir the pot. Let's just keep it going, sweep it under the rug, never see it again. A peacemaker carries a shovel. Sometimes he got to hit you in the head with it. Sometimes he got to dig a hole with it. Sometimes he got to cover up crap with it. Okay? What that means is this. A peacemaker, somebody's going to get involved. 
They're not going to be the person to just let stuff slide. They're going to address issues. If you want to be a good spiritual parent or a good Christian altogether, a good, good member of the kingdom, you got to address issues. There's some stuff we just have to address. Nathan's about to address the issue, right? He, he follows us, okay? So, so let's jump into this thing. All right, now, I do want to point this out, too, because I was just thinking about David and had some side notes for this. I'm not giving David an excuse. But if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and you read uh, Psalm 86 and Psalm 116, Psalm 86, Psalm 116, uh, David refers to his mother, never refers to his father in any of his psalms, refers to his mother as a maidservant of the Lord. All right, Re- repeatedly he does it in those two, and, and I think he does it somewhere else, but I didn't write it down, right? 1 Samuel 16, 11, we can see that David's probably got a pretty bad relationship with his dad. I mean, you think about it. So bad, in fact, of, of when they came to pick a king, where's David at? You stay in the field, boy. The rest of your brothers can some come sit in the house and get picked from, right? That's not a good relationship. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's not a good relationship at all. And, and it never talks anything good about their relationship. And I mean, even when his, his, his brothers go off to, to war and all that stuff, what is it? You carry the happy meal. That's all you get to do. You carry the happy meal to decide fighting men. That's, that's it. It's always worth Right. So he's more like a servant than a son. So we know he's got a bad relationship. I'm making an excuse for David. I'm just saying if, if your relationship with your dad sucks and, and he does a poor job of parenting, you need to break that mold so, so that it doesn't continue to go on. It's not an excuse because David clearly knows how his heavenly father treats him. I mean, look at what he writes in Psalm Psalm 23 and other ones. Yeah, he's my shepherd. He carry He cares about me, but he also protects me and he'll also whip me if he needs to. You know, all, that, all that's included in there. So I'm not making an excuse for him. I think David should have known Proverbs 29, 17. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give you delight to your soul. That's if you correct him, right? All right, so keep looking at verse 6. The odds are not in this guy's favor. It also says he was a good-looking dude. Well, that shouldn't surprise us. Scripture tells us David was a good-looking guy. He had problems with good-looking women. You get a good-looking guy and a good-looking girl together, guess what you got? Good-looking babies. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody's like, I don't know. What's it going to be? Thank you, Cliff. Common sense, right? Good-looking man, good-looking woman, boom, you get. Right, we need to make sure people in the camera here, so it's good, right? Good-looking man, so it's not surprising. He's at a disadvantage instantly here because how have the people been picking their king when they get to pick their king? How do people pick the people they like? By looks, right? So, so he's got this, this disadvantage going for him. Not making excuses for him. I'm just making sure we understand a realistic picture of what's happening. Get to the next scene. Get a scene change. Seven through ten. You got this banquet taking place, right? And I'm going to say this right now. You write this down because then you're going to have to write down the next thing as long as I don't forget it. All right? So somebody remind me there's something else to write down later, okay? First thing you write down, the world can throw a good party. Right? They can. He's got a great party going, right? Those that follow him, they go into this party. They got this thing going. Here's the sad part. Verse 7 tells us that Joab and Abathar, the high priest of Israel and David's chief general, have finally flipped sides. Now, these guys didn't flip sides. None of the other stuff. They didn't say they consulted the Lord. They didn't say they consulted David. Nothing. It just says they snuck over this guy. And it is sad to see trusted associates of David flipping sides right here. Now you go back and you look at these guys and you wonder, well, why? Maybe Joab's getting revenge because David chose Amasa over him back in 2 Samuel 19. Maybe he's mad that up to this point now, Benaiah has more authority over the military than he had. I don't know. I don't know. But but here's why I want you to write those two down and understand this. And for Abathar, maybe he's jealous that Zadok is the high priest, which he got his title, 2 Samuel chapter 8. Because here's the problem. Professional rivalry and darkness leads to bitter hate. That's what these guys got going. They got bitter hate leading in because of this. So we got to be careful. It's just a warning. All right. Joab, one of the most powerful of this guy's supporters, had always been, as we look at this guy a lot of times, he's always been loyal to David, not David's wishes. Think about that and how that separates. He's loyal to David all the time. Why? He protects David. He kills for David. But what was David's wishes some of the times with this guy? Did he want his son to die, by the way? Joab's the guy who killed him. No, he flat out said, do not kill my boy. Bring him back. Be gentle with him. He's high words. Right? What does he do? Kills him. So he's, he's loyal to David, but he's never loyal to David's wishes. I only point that out because we, we've up-taught Joab a lot, and, and, and rightly so in some stuff. But I also want you to realize this is not uncharacteristic of who Joab really has been the entire time. He's never been all about David's wishes. He's all about nation, pride, and that kind of thing, okay? Good news, verse 8. Get good news with the bad news. Nathan, Zedek, and the mighty men who followed David were not with him. Fortunately, it's some good people, right? And if you're going to have some good people on your side, you want those mighty people on your side. Those mighty warriors that can take care of business, right? They do. Then you get to verse 10. Read verse 10 with me. 
But he did not invite the prophet Nathan. Ben and I, who's the lion hunter, don't forget that. The royal guard, that's the mighty men, or his brother Solomon. When you got to be yeah, convenient, right? When you got to be careful about who you invite to your party, that's a warning that maybe you shouldn't be going to the party. Right? Or maybe you shouldn't be throwing the party. Okay? Now, and I want you to and I, I point out nine and ten for this reason here. We got to go back. This this is no longer an innocent misunderstanding that could have been for the son. We, you know, we said maybe he thought he was next to line. No, no, he knows exactly what he's doing. This is not miscommunication. This is not a poor presumption. Nine and ten make it very clear that he's being sneaky and he knows exactly what he's doing right here. All right. Doesn't invite his brother. Doesn't invite the, the leader of the military. Doesn't invite the mighty men. He, this is his coronation party. And he's selecting very carefully who he lets in. He left out very important people, people who would have told him that he was doing wrong. When you get to surround yourself with people, isn't it good to surround yourself with people who are going to push you to do what you want to do? Isn't it good to surround yourself with people who are not going to tell you you're wrong? You know what I'm saying? Like, I've never understood it. This isn't just to pick on, 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 on anybody in here, but, but, but it's just a generic thing. So we talk about, like, I've got a marriage problem, right? I need to get advice. Good. That, that, that starts it right. Then you go down to the bar and surround yourself with women who hate men, right? Or you, or you go hang out with guys who hate girls, whatever. I don't care which way it goes. And you think you're going to get good advice about saving your marriage. You're not going to get good advice about saving your marriage. You're going to get very unbiblical advice that's going to lead to destruction. Or the addict who tells me, man, I'm really trying to overcome all that stuff. And yet you go hang out with the same people in the same living room you just snorted a line on two weeks ago. You're not going to stop, right? It's not going to change if you keep surrounding yourself with that kind of stuff. This is what this guy's doing. He's surrounding himself with people who's not going to go against him. People are going to push him in that direction, right? Now, when we surround ourselves with this, here's what we need to understand. They're not just agreeing with you because you're, you're right. They're agreeing with you because most likely they're willing to compromise right now because they're going to get a benefit from it later. These guys have a hidden agenda going on. They know they're going to be able to now work the king if this guy becomes king, right? Now, now here's something about David while we pick on him about being a dad and all this stuff. He may have failed as a parent. David was great at waiting on the Lord. He was probably the best example in scripture of waiting on the Lord. And how many opportunities did he have where he didn't have to wait? I mean, we always think about the one where he cuts the guy's coat off while he's in there using the bathroom in the cave, right? I mean, if he can cut that off, he could have slipped the guy's neck. Opportunity right there. He had so many men that told him, I'll go take care of him right now if you want, David. No. No, I'm going to let the Lord do it the Lord. He was a great example of waiting on the Lord. His son, he should have followed this example. Yeah, he's got, he's got a reason that dad wasn't a great dad, but dad did give some great examples that his son should have followed, and this would have been one of them. Next scene we get. When things are going bad, there's always secret meetings that take place. Right? So you got this secret meeting. Now you got another secret meeting. Nathan and Bathsheba, they get together, right? They're talking and, and she tell, or he tells her in verse 11. And David, our Lord, doesn't even know what's going on. This is just to show us this is how bad David's health is. This is how far away he is removed from his kingdom. He is so far off. He doesn't even know what's taking place that his other son is trying to take the throne, right? Verse 12. Then he tells him this, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. What's he saying? He's saying, man, if that other boy gets in there, he's going to kill you guys. Because here's a biblical principle we see in all kingdoms, whether we agree with it. I'm not saying this is a good principle. I'm not saying it's a bad principle. I'm just saying this is a principle. We always see those that, that make it to the throne. They have to establish their throne. Will you establish your throne by eliminating the competition? And we see this all the time, right? Now, Here's the difference you need to understand, because this guy's going to try and, and Nathan do it. This guy would try to eliminate his competition if he made it. Solomon's competition is going to be eliminated, too, right? I promise you, God will take care. If you ain't read it in the future, God's going to take care of Solomon's competition. All right. Now, here's the, the difference, because you think, well, if you could do it that way, why can't you do it? the other? Here's the difference. Who's doing the eliminating? Who's doing the eliminating both ways? That's all you need to know. If man is doing the eliminating, it is wrong. If God is doing the eliminating, it's right. We struggle all the time. We read certain verses we're like, yeah, but God let them do the same thing they, the evil people were already doing. Yes, but God commanded it. There's a difference in God is doing it versus man's heart is doing it. And we need to understand that and be okay with that, right? So, so there's where we're at. Uh, verse 13. I want to make sure that your son Solomon will reign 
after me. So she's talking to David. She tells him, David, you, or um, I'm sorry, Nathan and, and Bathsheba are talking. David made you this promise, Bathsheba, remember? Now, we don't know about this promise. We know it is real because David doesn't argue when they go there in a minute. We know from First Chronicles chapter 22 uh, that it's mentioned there. So just because we didn't know about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But he's reminded that. And then we get this spiritual picture that I love. And I got to point this out. Man, I hope all you guys see it. Do you guys understand who Solomon is? Whose son is Solomon? Bathsheba. Who is Bathsheba in the story of David? Uriah's wife. Hold on, she's not David's wife? You're still going to call her Uriah? Why? Because what do we know about Bathsheba and David? It's the big, come on, you guys are all in the scandal. It's the biggest scandal in all of David's career. He sleeps with a married woman, then he kills her husband, then he takes her as his wife, and then he hides it for all this time, and he continues to hide it, and the only guy that knows it is David. This is a beautiful picture of grace. David's got lots of sons that could be the next king. Lots of them. Who has God picked out to be the next king? The one that came from a corrupted, messed up beginning. Right? Guys, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. If you, if you don't get that, you need to go back and study some gospel stuff more, right? I mean, this is part of what gospel good news really is. And good news is my beginning doesn't have to determine my end. Right? His beginning didn't have to determine the, the end of what's going on here. This is good news. Verse 14. Now the plan continues. When you're talking with the king, I'm also going to come in and confirm your words. Now, when I first read this, I'm like, Nathan, why don't you just go talk to David? Like, why, why I got to be? And then I remember there's a biblical principle. What? Two people, when there's a wrong done, should go and talk to the guy who's in, right, who, know, who doesn't know about it. And talk. He's just following scripture right here. He says, no, nah, I need to take me a witness with me. And we need to do this thing a good biblical way, right? Doing this. He also knew Nathan's the guy who knows how, how uh, in, uh, bad of a parent David is. So, you know, he's probably not paying much attention to, to what's actually taking place with his son. Here's what I love, though. Nathan stirs David into action. God is looking for some people that will stir others into action by following his will and doing his will. Right. David has been complacent. So Nathan goes in and, and sets the stage for what's taking place. This is the kind of servant you and I should want to be. And, and look, he doesn't just talk about this plan. He, he, he actually follows through with the plan. Fifteen through twenty seven. They do it. And what a great lesson we get in, in when he does it. Verse 50. Now the king was very old and, and that woman was still there serving the king and taking care of him. Taking care of him. I'm sorry. Right. This is just my this is, again, how bad David's limited capabilities are as king right here. So, so Bathsheba and Nathan, they, they, they come in or Bathsheba comes in first. I'm sorry. I and my son Solomon are going to be counted as offenders, she says, like she understands. <laughs> He's going to kill us if, if this thing. So we're in grave grave danger and she's pretending to tell this thing and as she's telling this thing nathan walks in now here's what you got to point out make sure you understand we haven't seen nathan with david since second samuel chapter 12 now you good bible study believe in christian followers holier than thou people right what did nathan come in at chapter 12 of second samuel to tell david about i know what you did i know what you did right it's one thing like when you got a dark secret that you kept in the closet. It's another thing when your pastor stops by and says, I know what you did. So I'm just going to look at y'all as y'all leave the day out the back door. And look, I know what you did. I know what you did. Straighten it up, right? But, but, but that's the last conversation they had yet. Now, here's what you understand. It doesn't mean, that, doesn't mean that's the last conversation. Last conversation recorded. Here's what I love. Where is Nathan now coming to talk to David at? Y'all know where the scene is set up. He's in his. The woman was going to lay with him in his bed. So he's in his bed room. All right. Only really close people get to come to the king's bedroom. All right. I mean, this, this ain't no like his wife gets to come. We know that she was coming because she's his wife. Right. They get to do whatever they want to do. Nathan, the fact that he gets to come to the bedroom of the king shows us that David hasn't neglected this guy any. Now, if that's somebody who just called you out on your biggest sin and all this stuff. It would have been easy to sever ties and break that relationship. Right. Not so. David has allowed this thing to take place and remain his trusted friend no matter what. When somebody holds you accountable, don't sever ties with them. Keep that person close because that's a person that cares about your spiritual growth and your kingdom mentality. And they're going to make sure you continue to progress rather than regress or even just stay the same. Right. So this is really a really pretty 
thing right here. He's not treating David or Nathan, I'm sorry, as an enemy. He hasn't like cut ties with him or anything like that. He hears Nathan's side of it. Nathan comes in and tells his side of it. Verses 28 through 30, he vows to set things right. I'm going to, I'm going to get this in order. I, I might be weak. I might be old, but I'm going to make sure this gets taken care of. Verse 31 through 37, the arrangements get made for anointing Solomon as king. What does he tell him? Verse 32. Call me Zadak the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah. Call me my three prominent leaders that are still right here. Now, I love that Nathan knew who was still loyal. I mean, Nathan, man. Nathan probably knew too. But I love that David knew who was loyal to him, and he knew who wasn't. You you catch that? Like, he knew who to call and who not to call. I pray that believers know who to call when they need to call somebody and who not to call when they don't need to call somebody, right? David knew this. Verse 34. Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king. This is kind of cool right here. Just pointing this out. This is a rare glimpse where we th- see three offices and corporation together. So you got a prophet, a priest, and a king all together, all doing the same job. Who's going to be a prophet, a priest, and a king? Jesus. Thank you. All right. So, so just a cool little, little addition you get to see there before Jesus actually, right? David wants his proclamation Solomon and his successor to be so persuasive. He does five big things. Five big things. He, he says, you're going to ride my mule. Make sure you got mule and that donkey there, right? Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint you. You're going to be anointed, right? We're going to blow the horn. So far, right? We're going to have everybody shout and say, long live King Solomon. And you're going to come sit on my throne. Five major things that's taking place, right? We, we, we could say it this way. God is just as concerned that we know, or that, yeah, that we know we are destined to sit on his throne. We are destined to be, we're next heir to the throne. We are destined to be his child, right? So, so God does this kind of stuff for us. Verse 30, 36. I love Benaiah, man. Not only because he's lying on her, just his attitude. He says, Amen. May Yahweh God of my Lord, the king, say so too. He understands. Here's what, here's what I love. Here's what he understands. He agrees with what's going on. He loves it. But he understands, like, if God doesn't amen it, it doesn't matter. Right? Like, if God doesn't amen it, then all we got is another big worldly party going on that's not right and he proceeds verse 37 it says that may he be with solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord king david now kind of an interesting thing for those of you who don't know anything about solomon his throne is definitely greater on a human level but on a spiritual level not so much so on an eternal level i guess you could say right so part of part of what benai is asking for happens 38 through 40 solomon's anointed and he's proclaimed his king look at 38 and he has solomon ride on king david's Mule. This is like his presidential motorcade now. All right, he's getting his parade. He, you know, you ever notice that when politics or somebody famous wants to make a big deal, like they always got this motorcade that comes up. This is his motorcade right here. Okay. Now, now here's what you need to understand: while he's riding up on this mule, uh, the the Hebrew law, Leviticus 19:19, 19, 19, for, forbid crossbreeding. All right, so you couldn't get a mule in this area. So that means you had to import the mule, which meant what? Y'all ever try to buy something from overseas? It cost. More, one way or the other. If you can't go get it at Walmart, it's going to cost you more to get it shipped in, okay? So, so what I'm pointing out is this. This is, a, this is the ride of royalty. Common people didn't ride on mules. Only, it was reserved for, for those that were wealthy enough to have it, okay? No subject could sit on the master's mule either without understanding from the people of, I've okayed it, he's about to take my place. So, so this is a huge, big, big picture right here. Then that same section, it says that he, that he took him to, to, to Jihon or Gihon, or however you want to say it, right? I just want to point this out about it. Here's what's awesome about it. Here's why, you know, little things even matter. That's the site of anointing, right? It's outside the, the, the city of the Kidron Valley. It's on the east bank of, of Ophel. This is the major site where all of Jerusalem's people would have gathered for water. Why is that important? Because he's doing this thing where everybody's going to be at. This ain't no thing in secret hidden. This ain't no thing done in the closet of dark. This is something done out in the open for everybody to get to hear about and get to see. And then you get verse 40. Now, before we read verse 40, you had your thing written down, right? The world can throw a good party. Now, write this one down because you believers need to understand this too. Ain't nobody can throw a party like God. That should have been more amen. Right? Any of you people that have been missing partying from your slave days, right? You, 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 you done skipped out on it. You should have amen just now. He's like, hold on, we can party too now. Yes. And ain't nobody can throw a party like the Lord. Look at verse 40. Oh, you got a flip page. Verse 40 says this, all the people went up after him, playing the feuds and rejoicing with such great joy that the earth split open from the sound. Now, is that a literal, is that a literal thing? No, I don't think the earth literally split open. Okay. 
But can you imagine how loud it had to be for them to record it that way? You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's almost like you got you ever seen go back to football. Y'all know everything's gonna be football till January, okay? I'm sorry. We, we, we've been out of sports for so long. We're still going to be out of a lot of sports, but I got the little league kids, right? They're still playing strong. So, so you, ever, you ever watch like how they try to get out loud each other? You got one team that's yelling on one end of the field, the other team yelling on the other. That's what you got right now. You got Adam Janai, and he's got his party going, and he's got his men there, and he's got his followers there, and they're throwing this party. They, they, they've slaughtered stuff. They're eating stuff. They're drinking stuff. There's good stuff going on. And then you got Solomon, who, who's going to a party that God set up, and them people is so loud that the earth is cracking open is how they, how they say. That means they was way louder than them. So loud, in fact, we're going to read it in a minute. So loud, in fact, the people that was at this party. Oh, crap, there's a bigger party this way. Right. You ever seen people when they leave the party to go to the bigger party? Now, y'all don't have to act holy. I know y'all used to party. OK, it's all right. Y'all think I'm not going to raise my hand. He going to know I was a sinner. I already know you was a sinner. Me, too. We in good company. OK. But, but like there's something going on here and then you find out there's something bigger and better over there. Now, I'm not saying it's got to be the keg like you guys used to think about or anything like that. OK, it could have been like cooler people. So everybody comes over to this party. Right. And you're all over here. And he's sitting over there by himself now. His party's busted. You ever been the person left at the party? By yourself? It's like a COVID-19 birthday party. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you're there by yourself. You might have your mom with you, and that's it. Pour one out for the rest of the people, right? (laughs) What's up, mom? (laughs) Right? That's all you got. That's it. It's just you and mama. (laughs) Happy birthday, son. You're not going to be king no more. (laughs) Right? I think you lost. Right? It's like Biden's party. I don't understand. Right? Too easy. I apologize. That should not have come from the pulpit. Verse 40 through 41 through 49. (laughs) He hears that Solomon made king. We already kind of been talking about. But notice what happens at this thing now. So they're at this party. As soon as they finished eating, the banquet's not over, right? They, they, uh, Bathsheba and Nathan, they react as quickly as they can, right? Some things need to be done quickly. Now I'm not saying everything needs to be done quickly, but some things in our walk need to be done quickly. When you got a command from God, you react quickly. As soon as they finish eating, they do this thing, right? They, they announce and start this whole process. Verse 41. So that all the city was in this great big old uproar, right? They're going crazy. They've they've lost the crowd. Things are going crazy. Verse 48. Also, the king said, thus, bless the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. This is telling this guy that even though King David. Or I'm sorry, this is telling the crowd that King David is completely behind Solomon. Like the motivation is right. Y'all thought there was something bad. They having a party. Huh? We talking about a party. Don't leave this party to go to that party. All right. Don't leave this party to go to that party. That was pretty good timing. Remind me to give all the kids a dollar and tell them good job. Right. Verse 41. All the guests who were with him, they were afraid and they arose and they left. Just like just now. Was y'all afraid? Huh? They was afraid. and they Why? Because if you support the wrong side, what's going to happen to you? In this this time frame. You gone. We eliminating competition. Right. This is a principle that took place. You could say it this way. The party's over when your popularity and your power is gone. His party's over, man. What he thought he had is, is gone. Right. But look at Solomon's wisdom here for, for this beginning. I think Solomon almost knew by his wording, by what's about to take place, what was going to happen. Right. 52, 53. He's got mercy, though. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. So you got Adage and I. He's he knows he's lost. So he follows through with a principle that was established by pagan worship. So this isn't like a godly principle. This is just a principle they had with, with pagan society around him. And he's grabbing the horns on this altar. You got a picture. Now, he was big and bad like 10 minutes ago, right? Now, Scripture tells us he's afraid of Solomon. Now, is that the kind of king you really want going on? Y'all done made the child workers nervous, right? <laughs> is that the kind of king you want? Like one guy who's on, on his high trip one minute? And two minutes later, like he's he's holding on to the horns. I won't let go. It's always going to kill me. It's going to be really bad. But is that the kind of guy you won't lead you? Nah. But that's what he's doing. And he's following through with, with, with this, like I said, not not a biblical principle, just a, a, a an idea that had been adapted in, in that culture. Now, here's the biggest problem with it, though. Even if he was trying to be what we call religious, right? 
Who's he on the altar in fear of? Solomon. He's not on the altar afraid of God. Do we understand this? Now understand me and please write this down. I know we're laughing at all seriousness right now. How many times have we come to the altar in fear of something else? How many times have we come to God in fear of the outcome rather than the fear of God? You know, the best thing you can do is you come to the altar and you just give the outcome to God. God, I'm more concerned about you than I'm concerned about the outcome. I'm more concerned about about, about what's going to happen after this than what's happening before this. That, that's his biggest problem right here. People fear men in power rather than the creator of the men in power. And, and there's where he's at. You got to make sure you fear the right thing because fear of the right thing lasts. If you fear God, that that relationship lasts because God's eternal. God's going on. Right. If you fear man, what happens when man is gone? What happens when if you, it was a situation? What happens when the situation has gone? You go right back to your old ways. You want to know why so many Christians just slumber right on back into their old ways because they never had a real relationship, a real fear, a real love of God in the beginning to deal with it. It was something fake. It was something false. It was something worldly. And the party was over. So the popularity and the power was gone. Right. Look at verse 52. If Solomon looks and says, if this is why I think Solomon, you know, Solomon, he's going to be wise for sure. I think he had a little bit of wisdom already. If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair on him shall fall to the earth. He's giving him an ultimatum. I'm going to let you live. I'm going to show some grace. I'm going to show some mercy. Rather than what I should be doing, new king should be eliminating not only competition, but especially somebody who's already tried to take the throne. Right? So he's got like a double reason why he should. But but he says, you know what? I'm not going to. I, I'm going to if, if. This is a large measure of grace. And I think Solomon is starting his reign off awesome. Awesome. Except for the fact In the next chapter, this guy ain't gonna, he don't last long at all, man. You, you know, some people, they get right for like at least six months to a year. This guy ain't straight for six days. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's just bad. So at, at the same time, here, here's what I'm telling Same time. If there's the slightest inclination that you're gonna rebel toward me again, you're gonna be gone instantly. Right? So, so it goes on, verse 53. And he came and he fell down before King Solomon. He knew that he's receiving great mercy from Solomon. After the death of King David, guess what happens in chapter 2? He goes to his mama, Solomon's mama, so he goes to Bathsheba. He says, hey, you know how I'm supposed to be on the throne, you know, by, by my hereditary right, but your son's on the throne. Can you, like, get him to do me a favor? And she's like, I guess. Like, what's the favor? He said, I, I just want to marry that, 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 that woman that's been taking care of, of dad for so long. Now, understand what's taking place here. you got to understand cultural Cultural thing was taking place. This is the woman who not slept with dad. So she's still a virgin. Everything's like cool and all that. Right. And, and all that going on. But we believe from this chapter, the reason he's trying to promote this and the reason Solomon is so against it. We'll find out when you get there. If we do all of chapter two next week. Again, I don't know what guys will do. Right. So maybe, maybe this is it for chapter two. Since you already got over. He's saying she was dad's concubine. So if I get her to marry me, I claim power. Oh, everybody's like, oh, it's like a TV drama. Oh, snap. Right. Solomon knew this was a TV drama. So Solomon says, oh, no, you don't. I heard what you told my mama because his mama comes up to the room and says, hey, baby, uh, uh, your brother, he wants to marry that uh, was a Shemanite woman or whatever she was. Da, 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 da. And he goes, oh, no, he don't. And he dies. So six days he lasts. He got forget. I don't know if it was really six days, by the way. Please don't write that down in your notes and think that was inaccurate. Right. But he don't last long. He don't last long. And, and, and here's here's the problem. Maybe the warning is this. I think I wrote down the first time Solomon was wise in how he handled it. And I'm not saying which way is right or not as far as for this. Right. But I also wrote this down the second. Well, probably like the 28th time I've read it. Never procrastinate in eliminating evil. Never procrastinate in eliminating evil. And that works on every level, guys. Oh, I'm going to end this affair. soon. No, you end it today. Oh, I, I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop trying to uh, in the future. I'm going to. No. You stop smoking whatever you're smoking today. You stop injecting whatever you inject today. You stop drinking whatever you're drinking today, right? You stop eating whatever you're eating today. Today is the day of redemption. Not tomorrow, not the next day, not this plan of like, well, I'm going to slow myself off of it. No! You totally eliminate sin when you need to get rid of it. You don't play with it. You don't hold on to it. You don't pet it like a puppy and make it last longer. You get rid of it. 
Some of our problems, we've been petting the puppy of sin for too long and it shows. Right. Many of us come to the altar like this guy, not out of, out of love or fear for God, but for various other reasons. And we haven't eliminated the evil from our life and it shows. Foolish exhortation and selfish ambition are poison of the heart for a believer. For, for those that want to be like kingdom minded, for, for what we call Christians, our lives should be for the glory of God. Not for the glory of self, not for anything else. We should be living for the glory of God and praising God with our lives. We should be making sure everything about us is bringing glory and adoration to him. That when people look at us, they, they don't see us, they see God. They know there's something special about us, not because of something we're doing, but because of what God's already done in us. What he's doing through us. Now, long, long chapters so you can relate to multiple people in this thing. Some of us might be Nathans that need to like step up and tell somebody something. Some of us might need to be Davids who need to hear something. You, you, you know what I love? Maybe, maybe that one part where it shows right before they walk in the room that um, David's still getting tended to by the lady. Maybe it's just showing us that if we're like David and we're at a moment where we need assistance. So God, God sent the lady to take care of him to keep him warm. Then God sends Nathan and, and Bathsheba in there to remind him of a previous promise. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of stuff and we're in that era. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're the ones that need to be doing the reminding. Maybe you're the one that's went to the altar for the wrong reason. Maybe you've made a false commitment. Maybe you just need to totally eliminate evil altogether. Right? This chapter's got a lot of stuff. This book's going to have a lot of stuff as we dive into it. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you, Lord God, for this morning. We thank you for this chapter. Lord, we thank you for how it relates to our lives. And God, as funny as it sounds after getting to the end, God, I'm so thankful that you throw the biggest parties. God, you throw the biggest celebrations. And God, when you throw a party and a celebration, Lord God, you invite us to it. God, I pray that we come to the right heart, the right attitude, the right fear, the right love. Lord, I pray, God, that we hear from your spirit, Lord God, and that we do what it is you've called us to do, that we respond the way you want us to respond and not the way we want to respond. Lord, move in a mighty way this morning through us and carry us through. In your name we pray. Amen.